and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes from naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground, then he blows on them and they wither, and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me, or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens who created all this. He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is, everlast is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Martha, thanks very much. Shall we begin with a prayer? Oh Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it speaks to us in all times, particularly times of um, anxiety and when we're confused and afraid. And Father, we pray that this word of the prophet Isaiah would speak to us today through your spirit, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Where do we go for hope when the world seems to offer no hope at all. It was three weeks to flatten the curve, three, week, three months to save the NHS, more normality by the autumn, back to normal by Christmas. And here we are uh, in lockdown number three. The vaccination program is underway, but when will it all be over for good? By the middle of February, by Easter, in time for the summer holidays, by 2022, where do we go for hope when we face such an uncertain future? Well, it seems to me that we all need to get a bigger picture of God in these uncertain and disorientating times. And so over the course of this next um, lockdown through January, February, uh, we're going to be spending some time in these middle chapters of Isaiah, beginning here with chapter 40 at the central a turning point in Isaiah's book. The prophet has just declared in chapter 39 that the people of Judah are going to be going off into exile in Babylon. It is devastating news, a national crisis on an unprecedented scale. Where are they going to go for hope? Well, Isaiah's answer is wonderfully simple, and it is the same answer each one of us needs to hear in the midst of this um, international crisis. Put your hope in your incomparable God when the world offers no certain hope at all. Put your hope in your incomparable God when the world offers no certain hope at all. Isaiah unpacks that answer with two straightforward lessons. The first is this. 
Be comforted by God your Saviour. Be comforted by God your Saviour. Do keep that passage open. Chapter 40, verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for. Isaiah says that a day is coming when Jerusalem's punishment will be over. She will receive double for all her sins. That doesn't mean she's going to be punished uh, twice for the same crime. Instead, it's a picture as if the crimes are recorded on one page of the judge's ledger and the punishment is recorded on the other. The two pages are folded over double and they match perfectly. The exact price is paid. Nothing more, nothing less. Well, exactly how that is going to happen is unclear at this stage, but Isaiah uh, deliberately uses language that points us back to the blood sacrifices of Leviticus, and so he points us forward to the ultimate blood sacrifice, the death of Jesus, as he'll write in a few chapters' time. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds, We are healed. You see, the world offers us no certain hope of salvation. Not from COVID, not from lockdown, not from anything else. But God does offer us certain salvation in Christ. A rescue from the terrible judgment we deserve for our sin. So no matter what is going on out there, we can still allow this message of comfort to comfort our hearts. God our saviour promises to save us from sin. And so Isaiah then calls attention to three comforting voices that tell his people about the Savior. I wonder if you notice those voices. Verse 3, a voice of one calling. Verse 6, a voice says cry out. Verse 9, lift up your voice with a shout. First of all, verses 3 to 5, a voice which speaks of the glory of the Savior. Mountains, deserts, valleys, nothing stops the engineers from uh, laying the tarmac of this motorway. But it's not the people of Judah going back to Jerusalem down this newly laid superhighway. No, it's the other way around, verse 5. God is coming to them. The glory of the Lord will be revealed. Now in the scriptures, God always displays his glory whenever he saves his people. So if you think back to the Exodus, God said, I will gain glory for myself over Pharaoh and all his army. And so that's what he does. He defeats Pharaoh and his army at the Red Sea and he rescues his people out of Egypt. It's what Jesus prayed about the night before he died. He said, Father, glorify your son that your son may glorify you. And so in Babylon also, God will display his glory to save his people. But not just them, all the people. We'll see it together. See, ultimately, salvation will be offered to the world, to all people, even to you and me. That's the first voice that speaks of God, our Savior. Uh, Next, another voice speaks of the Word of God, verses 6 to 8. The picture here is of a meadow filmed with a a time-lapse camera. So the grass sprouts in the spring, it flowers in the summer, and then it withers and dies in the autumn. It is filmed over a year, but we watch it in just a matter of seconds. 
Human beings are just like that, Isaiah says. You see, because God brings death just as much as he brings life. Verse 7, the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. So don't trust mortals to save you. They are transient, temporary, fragile, fickle, unfaithful. God, though, is a trustworthy saviour, verse 8. His word endures forever. He won't say one thing one day and then change his mind the next. We can always trust his promises to save. Well, no sooner have we heard that second voice that we heard a a third voice, Uh, this time one that speaks of the arm of the Lord. Verse 10, he rules with a mighty arm. So our God is a warrior. He's rolled up his sleeves. He's won a great victory in Christ, and he invites us to share in that victory, that triumph over sin and death. But you know, that's not all that the arm of God does. Look at verse 11. He gathers the lambs in his arm. See, our God is also the good shepherd. He cares for us gently and tenderly. He knows us intimately and individually. No matter what we're going through, he's there for us, ready to lead us through the barren valleys into greener pastures. I wonder if verse 11, there's a particular word here perhaps for parents. Uh, If lockdown perhaps leaves you struggling with sleepless nights with a little one without the support of parents or friends, or maybe if homeschooling leaves you exhausted and despairing, God says, I will be your shepherd. I carry you close to my heart. I will lead you and your family through this time of trial. But no matter what we face, each one of us can be comforted by God our Saviour, by his glory, by his word, by his arm. No wonder uh, verse 9 speaks about bringing good news to Jerusalem. Because the gospel is good news of a God who saves. And we do not need to doubt his commitment to save. We don't need to fear any crisis that comes our way. See verse 9, do not be afraid. Now I don't know what frightens you most this morning. Maybe it is the prospect of more and more lockdown. Maybe it is the toll on your mental health, loneliness, the effect on your children's education, increased pressures at work, the possibility of unemployment, exhaustion, falling ill with the virus, delayed medical treatment for something unrelated to COVID, even death itself. I don't know what makes you afraid today. But when we are faced with fear, our Saviour God says to us, do not be afraid. So I wonder if we will allow that word to speak to our hearts the next time fear assaults our senses and occupies our thoughts. Lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. So that is Isaiah's first lesson. When the world offers no certain hope at all, we can find hope in our incomparable God. Be comforted by God your Saviour. Second, have confidence in God your Creator. Have confidence in God your Creator. Verse 12, 
Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket, or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Now, there has been a lot of lockdown baking in our house. Cakes, biscuits, bread. This week, it was ice cream. Making all those delicious things, though, requires that you measure out the ingredients. Scales, teaspoons, measuring jugs, you need the lot. Isaiah pictures God measuring out the ingredients of creation. The waters of the seas and of the heavens, the dust of the earth and the mass of the mountains. It is vast and enormous from our perspective. But God measures it all out in a few kitchen utensils. Everything, everywhere, is created by him and him alone. And he didn't even need anyone to advise him how to do it. Verse 14, whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him? the right way. Now, I know that in our church family, there are some architects and um, uh, interior designers and people like that. Uh, Some sad news for you. God doesn't need you. God didn't need any interior designers or architects when he built creation. He is the architect and the designer and the engineer and the builder and the furnisher and the decorator of creation. He created the raw materials and then he sculpted them perfectly into the end product. He is absolutely mighty and totally wise. And that puts everything else in all perspective. Verse 17, before him, all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. Less than nothing. In fact, that's the same word that we find at the very beginning of the Genesis creation accounts. You remember how that begins? It says, the earth was formless and empty. Empty, less than nothing. That is what the nations are like when compared to God. It is almost as if they don't exist. See, at times, the nations of our world, they compete against each other. At other times, they work in harmony And we've seen some of that uh, competition and collaboration in the fight against uh, the virus. And yet if the nations are disconnected from God, like Babylon certainly was, and like our world increasingly is, then they lose all ultimate meaning and purpose. All scientific achievements, technological advances, political agreements, it is all nothing compared to the incomparable creator. And Isaiah makes that very clear in the first of two little climaxes which punctuate this long section from verse 12 to the end of the chapter. The first of those is verses 18 uh, 18 to 20, verse 18. With whom then will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? To God's people in exile, the idols of Babylon must have looked very powerful and frightening. Some of them were made of gold and silver, some of them the best at timber. But in reality, they were absolutely pathetic. See, they reflected the best of human ability, but they had no divine ability of their own. They even had to be nailed down so they didn't topple over and fall over on the floor. Now, there are many idols in our nation today, but perhaps there is no idol 
more prominent right now than the idol of safety? Have you noticed how common it is to say to one another, stay safe? Now, I'm sure that you know that the word goodbye uh, originally comes from the expression, God be with you. It's like the French or the Spanish, adieu or adios. Previous generations used language that linguistically at least committed one another to God. But now we increasingly commit one another to safety, an idol which promises a life free from harm. No infections, no symptoms, no suffering. Stay safe. Now, of course, we are called to love our neighbour. And the state has a duty to govern people wisely. The Bible itself contains health and safety legislation. It even says that the sick should be quarantined. It is not wrong to try to take reasonable steps to protect public health. But we must beware the danger of putting our confidence in the idol of safety. Just consider all the talk of controlling, suppressing, defeating the virus, of protecting the NHS, even of saving lives. Now, I've no doubt that that language is well-intentioned. But is it possible that it is godless as well? Is it possible that it is also the language of men and women who are bowing down at the altar of the idol of safety? And I just wonder if the idolatry of safety is one of the reasons why so many, perhaps including some of us, are so frightened. Because it is just a man-made idol. What if it rots? What if it topples over? What if it hasn't been nailed down to the floor strongly enough? You see, it might look impressive, but in reality, it requires us to have confidence in one another. And we know what one another are like, don't we? Fickle, foolish, unreliable human beings. You see, the worship of safety leads to fear. But the worship of our creator leads in exactly the opposite direction, to confidence. So to drive that point home, Isaiah throws a whole series of rhetorical questions at us. Look at verse 21. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? Verse 22, he sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. Our God is the king of the universe. More than that, he is everywhere in his universe. He spreads the heavens out like a tent to live in. Now, theologians call this idea the immensity of God. Let me explain. You and I open the door of a darkened room and light creeps around the crack to fill the darkness. We blow air into a balloon to inflate it. But God doesn't creep around the gap like light or fill a, the universe like air fills a balloon. He doesn't stretch himself out like light or like air to fill his creation. He fills all places always because he gives existence to everything already there. He is present in all places at once with his whole being. He is immense. 
And yet at the same time, the, cre the, crea the, sorry, the creator never becomes his creation. So the light of the sun lights up the room, but the light never becomes the air inside the room. It's the same with God. The infinite creator is always distinct from his finite creation. He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. Why is that important? Well, because it means that God is king everywhere, always. God is king everywhere, always. If we need his help, he is right there for us. He is not like things in his creation, which are reliable sometimes and unreliable other times. What is more, he owns the world. Nothing exists independently of God. No one, nothing, nowhere is off limits to his rule and reign. Not even the most powerful rulers on the planet. Verse 24. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown. No sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. I don't know about you, but I think one of the hardest things of the last 10 months has just been a sense of total powerlessness. See, we used to feel in control of our lives, but now government laws, which change every couple of days, impact every single area of our lives. You shall not do this. You shall do that. But our leaders, you see, have no true power of their own. It's all lent to them by God. He can take it away in a moment. He can sweep them away in a flash. If he so decrees it, history will barely remember them. Nothing and no one compares to our incomparable creator. And so as Isaiah arrives at the second little climax of this section, this is verses 25 to 26. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Do you remember earlier, God compared himself to man-made idols. Now he compares himself to the stars, which in those days, and in Babylon in particular, were worshipped as gods. They determined people's fate. The history of nations was determined by them. Or so people thought. Because of course, the stars as well were under God's sovereign rule. Verse 26, he brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. I wonder if today God would say something slightly different to our nation and our world. Not look up to the heavens, but look down through the microscope. Because the science certainly seems to determine our lives, doesn't it? Our lives feel as if they are in its hands. Now, like all good things, science can easily become a God thing, another idol we're inclined to worship. But even an invisible virus is under our creator's control. It might not feel like it. We might wonder why he allows pandemics to come and go. We might know this truth in our heads, but find it very hard to remember in our hearts. And so we pour over the news bulletins, looking for clues that things will get better. We pin our hopes on a vaccine for ourselves or for our loved ones or for the world. And yet if that is all that we do, are we just making the same kind of mistake 
as the star worshippers of Babylon. Because apparently the all-powerful star of science, that sorry, because the apparently all-powerful star of science does not compare to the creator of all things. He alone is incomparable. So when the world offers no certain hope at all, let's find our confidence in him. Be confident in God, your creator. Well, Isaiah spent uh, all those verses shining the spotlight on God, and he's pointed his disorientated and anxious people to their saviour and their creator. But now as he wraps up the chapter, he turns the spotlight onto the people. First of all, with a gentle rebuke, verse 27. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? I wonder how often you felt like that over the last month or 10 months. God doesn't seem to see. God doesn't seem to care. God isn't answering my prayers. But you see, God is not too great to care. God is far too great to fail. He is the Lord, the everlasting God. He never changes. He will not grow tired or weary. He has all the resources he needs to deal with this crisis and whatever other crises may come our way. And so the next time I am inclined to complain, I need to look past my fears and frustrations and I need to be comforted by, my, by God, my saviour. See, God has saved me from my sin. What more do I really want God to do for me than that? The next time I'm afraid... Will I look past the idol of safety and the apparently all-controlling star of science? And will I find confidence in my creator instead? The one who says to me, do not be afraid. So you and I need to hear Isaiah's gentle rebuke, but perhaps even more than that, we need to hear his very last word in this chapter. It is a gracious reminder of what God has in store for us if we will only trust him. Verse 31. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. You see, if God is on our side, a different experience is possible when life's resources fail. A supernatural strength like eagles' wings, the ability to keep on walking, even to run, when all we want to do is stop. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Jesus, the good shepherd, promised, whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. Now, we don't know how much longer we've got to keep on going through uh, lockdown. Some of us might feel quite close to breaking points. Others might feel overwhelmed by fear. Others might feel they've still got quite a lot left in the tank. But we can all know that our incomparable God offers rock solid hope when the world offers no hope at all. And so we can remind ourselves and one another, be comforted by God your saviour. Have confidence 
in God, your creator. Should we bow our heads and pray? You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are our saviour. We thank you that you are our creator. And we ask for your forgiveness when we have looked away from you to the idols of this age and we have been afraid. O oh Lord, we do live in confusing and disorienting times, but you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. You never change. You're always there, ready to help. So we pray that you'd help us to look to you, and you'd help us to soar on eagles' wings, to run and not grow weary, to walk and not be faint. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, in a moment, uh, Paul's going to come up and kindly pray for us. And uh, straight after that, we're going to be singing our, well, we won't be singing, we'll be listening. Sorry, it's hard to get out of that habit sometimes. We'll be listening, uh, but worshipping to our last song um, that just reminds us of those points that Andy uh, shared with us, that God offers salvation to us all, that we can have confidence um, in God because he is the creator. Um, and when I certainly took away, isn't it wonderful in heaven that we won't have to make any marmal packs wardrobes ever again? That sounds like a great one, doesn't it? And it says in this uh, verse here, you are the everlasting God. You do, not, you do not faint. You won't grow weary. You're the defender of the weak. You comfort those in need and you lift us up on wings like eagles. Isn't that fantastic? Um, so we'll sing that after Paul has prayed for us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we are able to continue meeting here in person on Sundays to see each other and give each other encouragement and encourage those who are watching remotely. We pray that you would keep each of us safe as we meet together and that whatever happens, we will remember that you are in control and you want what is best for us. Thank you, Lord, for all the blessings of technology we have and all that allows us to do. Those who aren't here in person today are able to join through our new live stream service. And we are able to keep in contact with each other throughout the week and meet on Tuesdays or Wednesdays for home group via Zoom to study the Bible together. We pray that being in person here and online together would be a big blessing for everyone involved as we hear more about